Thank you, Sharon. What a beautiful way to start the morning. And as for the rest of you, good morning and welcome to all our visitors and guests that are with us today and also to those listening on radio. Before I start our service, I have two announcements I'd like to make. We're in need of several Sunday school classroom leaders for the kindergarten age group. If you are able to help, please see Tori or Sue Leffel. And also today, and I reiterate today because the bulletin apparently leads some people astray that thinks it's next week, August 11th. It is today, August 11th. From 5 to 7 p.m., we had reserved the New Bremen Outdoor Pool for an all-church pool party. This is just not for the youth. It is for everybody. Guests are welcome, so bring your whole family, your grandchildren, or even a couple friends with you. So I hope to see you all there, and that is today from 5 to 7 p.m. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now as we start our service this morning, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship. This morning is taken from Psalm 25, verses 1 through 11. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God and my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble as one is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Please remain standing for opening song of praise. Ten thousand reasons. Bless the Lord.
As the children come forward for the children's chat, just take a moment and greet one another. I said I haven't seen you guys in a long time. Are you still singing in the wild songs? Yeah, you should be. I like those songs. Those are fun. All right. Oh, well, really? That's outstanding. All right. So um, our chat today is going to be kind of short, but Pastor Joel and Pastor Tori have been preaching all summer on tough questions. And asking questions is kind of what we do as kids. And you ask a lot of questions every day, don't you? It's kind of our business. Yeah. Most of the time when you have a question, who do you ask? Yeah, you can ask your parents. Anybody else? God, absolutely. Anybody else? Nobody else knows anything. Oh, babysitter totally knows stuff. What do you think, Livia? Oh, yeah, you ask your phone. Phone seems to know a lot, doesn't it? (laughs) What do you think? Who do you ask? Yeah, you can totally ask your Bible questions. Yeah, I have an app for that on my phone. I'd be like, hey, Bible, do you know? Yeah, yeah, sometimes I ask my older siblings. Now, um, believe it or not, sometimes grown-ups don't know every answer to everything. Who did they ask? Who would mommy ask if she doesn't know it, if she doesn't know something? What do you think? Oh, yeah, she could totally look it up at her Bible. She can use her app. She can use, you know, good old pages. Who else do you ask? Who else would, would mom ask if she didn't know something? Huh. Dad, yeah. <laughs> Who else could she ask? I mean, I know my, my mom says if she doesn't know, call grandma. <laughs> yeah, she can call grandma. Who else could you ask? Oh, yeah, you totally ask Alexa. She knows so much. <laughs> now, I'm really glad that you pointed out that we ask our Bibles and we ask God because that is totally the right answer. Because sometimes you have tough questions and, you know, Pastor Joel's preaching on tough questions. That means we don't always know the answer. And Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks will find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. God wants to answer your questions. You can ask God anything. You can pray. You can look things up in your Bible. The Bible has lots of answers to questions that God just knew that you were going to ask. So the more we listen, the more we study, and the more questions we ask, the more we will come to know the answers to those hard questions. So would you pray with me, please? Thank you for our little ones, Lord. Teach us to bring these tough, tough questions to you and help us to learn how to listen to the answers. Keep us safe and teach us to be more like you. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week in Alaska, Private First Class Jeremiah Matthew Wombacher, 22, from Warrington, Missouri. In Nebraska, Sergeant Tristan Greaser, 22, from Lincoln, Nebraska. And in Virginia, Aviation Boson Mate Third Class Juan Geraldo Medina Renaga, 25, from Kansas. Thank you, Jay. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to reiterate uh, the announcement from earlier today. I hope you all are able to join us at the New Bremen Pool this afternoon. I know our family is very much looking forward to it. Uh, JoJo earned a pool party through the library summer reading program, but we had to miss it, and she was bummed out. And so she's very excited for the pool party this afternoon. We hope to see as many of you there as possible. Come and join us. Like Jack said earlier, bring kids, grandkids, friends, neighbors. uh, Invite some people. Come and join us. It'll be a really fun time this afternoon. Uh, let's, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Lift up our burdens, our concerns, and even our joys to Him. Lord, we do thank You for uh, the many ways that You've blessed us in our lives. Lord, we thank You even for uh, what seem like relatively minor things like good weather and the chance to gather with friends and family for an afternoon of fun in the sunshine. I do pray for your, uh, your protection for us as we gather as a church family to do that this afternoon. 
And I pray for just a good time to be had by all as a good way to, to as we're approaching the end of our summer. Lord, we do lift up our concerns to you. Lord, we, we pray especially uh, for those uh, who were affected by the shootings in El Paso and Dayton last weekend. Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for healing for those who are still in the hospital. Lord, we pray for a, a comfort and a peace that goes beyond all understanding for those who lost loved ones in that senseless act of violence. Lord, help us as Christians to respond in a, in a, in a positive and helpful way uh, in situations like this. Help us to be your light in a dark world. Help us to be your hands and feet and show love and compassion to all those affected. Uh, Lord, not just by, by tragedy like this, but to everyone we encounter. Help us to be your, the love. Help us to express the love of God in real and practical ways each and every day. Lord, we ask for your provision uh, for the concerns that we carry in with us today. Many are represented in the bulletin. Uh, Lord, though we don't know the details, you do, and you know exactly what is needed in those situations. But Lord, I also acknowledge that there's many times uh, that we carry burdens into the sanctuary. For those listening on the radio, carry burdens wherever you are, uh, and we don't know, we don't express those. There's no one else that may know what is going on in our hearts and our minds and our lives. But Lord, you do. You know exactly what it is we need. You know the number of hairs on our head. Uh, and you know, uh, like a good loving father, Lord, the perfect loving father, exactly what we need. Uh, and you desire to, to help us, to get us through that. So Lord, help us to rely on you and your will for our lives. Because there's no better place to be than in the center of your will. We acknowledge it may not always be what we want or what we expect. But we trust, Lord, that it is ultimately for our good and for your glory. And so we ask that your will would be done. We pray all these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we ask in our prayers that you would be glorified in our lives. Let's stand and let's, let's sing those words together from number 394 in your blue hymnals. In my life, Lord, be glorified. seated. This time I want to invite four those who are helping with the offering. Our offering this morning goes to support the radio ministry here at First Church. Uh, what a blessing that ministry is. Not only do we as, as a church family get to gather here in this place to worship the Lord together, but this service then is broadcast over the radio to, to many, many more people. Uh, people we know that maybe just physically can't be here with us in the sanctuary, but many others that we don't even know about or aware of are impacted by, by the ministry uh, of that radio broadcast. And so uh, our offering this morning will go to support that so we can continue to broadcast our services on the radio. Thank you.
You are reaching through the storm, walking on the water, even when I could not see. In the middle of it all, when I thought you were a thousand miles away, not for a moment did you forsake me. Not for a moment did you forsake me. After all, you are constant. After all, you are only good. After all, you are sovereign. Not for a seated. For those of you who are confused, I'm not Maria Lammers. Come here, the word uh, from our scripture lesson this morning from the book of Micah, chapter four, verses one through five. In the last days of the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, 
Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Thanks, Clinton. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Lord, I ask that as we open your word today, that you would uh, open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give me words to speak. And I pray that we would be able to approach yet another one of these tough questions uh, with fresh hearts, fresh minds, and uh, with a desire to, uh, to be obedient to your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have been uh, following along with the schedule that we've been trying to post in the bulletin each week, kind of covering, giving us an idea of what these tough questions are going to be week to week, you know, uh, we, we tweaked this one a little bit. Uh, in light of uh, what happened in El Paso and, and especially close to home in Dayton for us last weekend, um, I thought it would be more appropriate for us to take a look at how we respond to acts of violence in our own time uh, rather than necessarily looking at how violence was approached or handled from an Old Testament perspective. And so we're going to be looking at a very similar topic to what we had planned, just looking at it from a different perspective. But it's one that's very important for us to address and to talk about and be able to do so not just from our own perspective, but from the perspective of Scripture. Take a look at what God has to say about the issue of violence and the cause of it in our world today. And it's not an easy one to discuss because it is so prevalent for us. I know we were in, uh, obviously you know I was not here with you last week. Allie and I were in San Francisco celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And I remember waking up Sunday morning seeing the news reports of what had happened in the, last, in the previous 24 hours and just being shocked by it, especially something that hit so close to home for us, just an hour south. Many of us have connections to Dayton, whether family, friends, uh, maybe even have lived there for a time. And so hearing about something that happens on the other side of the country or the other side of the world is one thing, but to hear about something that happened so close to us really puts a new spin on it. But it shouldn't, should it? We should be shocked. We should be appalled no matter where it happens or no matter who it happens to. Actually, we realized it's 20 years ago, on April 20th, 1999, the first time I was really confronted with something like this in my own life. That was the day of the Columbine school massacre. I remember uh, being a school-age person myself, just hearing about that and thinking how in the world something like that could happen in our culture, in our society. Just being completely shocked and thinking that that was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience or news story. And unfortunately, that same news story has repeated over and over again in the past 20 years. We've seen, uh, and of course, I don't have statistics that's in front of me. It's hard to, to be able to even track those sorts of things. But, but knowing that that has happened over and over and over again, multiple times in multiple settings, but it's the same story over and over again. Violence being committed against uh, what we would call innocent people. Right. People that don't deserve to be caught in the crosshairs of someone else's anger and hate and violence. And so the question for us then is, how do we as Christians respond to that? How do we faithfully respond to a crisis like this, whether it's a news story we see on the TV or something that happens and directly affects us, uh, whether it's a community or family or even individually? And first, I want to begin by looking at. Uh, a few, maybe I would put it more on the practical application. How, how can we respond in the midst of this? And then we will, in the second part of the sermon, take a look directly at Micah 4 and what we can learn from that passage. First of all, I want to say our proper response, the first thing that we should do 
whether as Christians specifically, but in general as a society, is lament. Be sad. Be angry. Cry over the fact that innocent lives were lost in such a tragic way. In fact, I think it's good for us to be angry and be shocked and be upset about these sorts of things. You see, God gives us an example and God wants us to process our emotions in this way and and come to Him and let Him know exactly how we're feeling. In fact, the Psalms give us an example, give us a model of what that looks like. I'd like to read one for you. Psalm 13. It's 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 a relatively short psalm, but it gets to the heart of what I'm talking about here. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles or or one of the pew Bibles that's provided for you, we're in Psalm 13. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The psalm gives us a picture of what what lament is meant to be and what it's meant to do for us as we process our emotions of grief. First of all, it's, it's it's an honest and authentic outlet for that grief. God doesn't want us to bottle up those emotions. He doesn't want us to be, uh, to just hold all that in. In fact, he's, he's big enough to handle it, isn't he? He can handle our questions. He can handle our grief. I mean, think about what we've been doing this summer with this tough question series, right? The premise of this whole time that we started with was God is big enough to handle our questions and our doubts. That goes for maybe theological questions, but it also goes for our more practical or personal questions like how do I respond or how do we, how do we live in a world that these acts of, where these acts of violence take place. So God wants us to go to him. He wants us to, to, to express our grief and our sorrow and our shock and even our, our hatred over these sorts of things. And he wants us to lay them at his feet. And then, as you can see here in this case, laments then turn to statements of trust. They often, not always, but end with a statement of, even though this is true, even though this is how I feel, I will still trust in you, Lord. I still believe in your promises. I still trust that you are good and you will do what you promise to do in your word. You see, laments are meant to bring us back to God and to his promises. We are angry. We experience shock because we know that there is something better for this world. There's something better than senseless acts of violence. There's something better than hatred and bigotry and the sorts of things that lead people to make those sorts of atrocious decisions. And the thing that is better is God himself, right? Knowing him and and God's kingdom being made real and experienced in this world. See, as Christians, that's what we long for. That's what we want to see and we want other people to see for themselves. And so our lament, our crying out to God is really a response to and trust in God's word and his promises that God is good and God will do what he says he will do. And it's a, and it's a longing for that better world, not just for ourselves, but for all to experience. The problem, though, is when we are no longer affected by these acts of violence like we witnessed last weekend or we witnessed 20 years ago at Columbine. When we see stuff like that happen, whether it's a big news story or something that's barely reported in the news, when we see loss of life and we see tragedy strike, that should always move us. The problem is when it no longer does, when we become numb to those sorts of things, that's when we see it affecting us on a deeper level. Don't let yourself become numb to this sort of tragedy. Don't let yourself write it off as just, that's just another Another day in America, another day in the world that we live in, because that's not the way it should be. We should grieve, we should weep over those things. In fact, Romans 12:15, Paul instructs us to not only rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. As people experience tragedy, we should empathize with them. We should be able to come alongside them. And, and even if we don't 
truly know what's going on in their heart and mind, we should understand that they are grieving and come alongside and grieve with them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, Paul offers us these words of comfort. He says, Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. See, we may not know exactly what another person is going through, but we can still extend the comfort we ourselves have received from God, the comfort we find in His Word and His promises, the comfort that comes from knowing Jesus Christ on a personal level, the comfort, that, the peace that comes from from the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, we can extend that and share that with others. God doesn't want us to keep that to ourselves. We experience that, we know that, not just for ourselves, but so that we can share it with those who are in need. And that leads us to our next point. First, we're called to lament. And second, we're called to love. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our, in our world. And that means supporting those who are grieving. Acknowledge the reality of their suffering and be there for them. Not ignore them, not pretend like it doesn't happen, but to be there for them. Practice the ministry of presence. Right? Some people like the ministry of presence as in getting gifts, right? But that's not what I'm talking about here. Ministry of presence as in being present with another person. Acknowledging that what they're going through is real and, and simply being there for them. We may not have all the answers. We may not even have words to say, but simply being there makes a huge difference. And sometimes there are ways we can help. Sometimes there are things that we can do to relieve their suffering. This week I heard the story of a, of a young person in Dayton who, who set up a lemonade stand in order to raise money for victims' families and the hospital bills and all, that is in, the, all of the, the aftermath that comes along with an act of violence like this. What a beautiful picture of being the hands and feet of Jesus as a young person, a child, doing what little they can in order to help someone else. I mean, what a beautiful picture of, of practical, real love doing what they can to help another person. See, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us that loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to, judge, to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. See, love is the fulfillment of the laws. We seek to make an impact in other person's lives. Love is the way that we do that. And not love as in, as in the emotions or the, or, or, or the feeling of love, but the conscious and intentional decision to treat other people as God treats us in Christ. We can't let hate win the day. We, can't, we need to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And love is a choice. And so we need to choose to love someone, love people that are going through this, and love people that are different from us. Right? Christ put His love into action by coming into this world, by living for us, by dying for us, by rising again from the grave. Right? His love was put into practice through His actions. And the same must be true for us. We must not allow hate or bigotry or racism to go unchecked. We must love each other with the love that God has for us in Christ. So we must lament. We must love. And finally, we must repent. Because all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us need God's grace and mercy in our lives. We must repent because we are just like everyone else has ever lived have fallen short of God's glory. 
And so we must learn to, to turn away from those things and turn back to God. In fact, one of the most basic, one of the most foundational forms of sin in this world is the sin of pride, right? Thinking of yourself as greater than others around you. Think about it. It's idolatry if you really think about it at its core. It's elevating yourself above and at the expense of other people. And that is something that we as Christians should repent of in whatever form that takes. Repentance is simply turning away from one direction and, and heading in a new one. And so it means turning away from from our sin, turning away from our pride, turning away from any sort of idolatry that has a hold in our lives and turning towards Christ and learning to live like Him. So what does this Micah passage have to do with this? What does this have to do with our response to violence and hatred? Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 give us a picture of the day of one day when God's kingdom will become a reality in this world. We spent a lot of time this past month talking about the book of Revelation, talking about Christ's second coming, talking about the reality of, of heaven and the, and the kingdom of God. Uh, and, that is, uh, and so what Micah is talking about here is, is that same idea, God's kingdom being defined by peace. And although we talk about God's kingdom in one sense as a future reality, it is something that can and should be experienced here in this world. If God's kingdom is a peaceful kingdom, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, as he's described in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, then we should strive to see and experience peace in our own time. We should work towards moments of what I would call kingdom breakthrough, of seeing the kingdom of God becoming real, even in small and minute ways in this world, even as we wait and expect him to fully establish his kingdom at a future date. You know, I mean, I hope you, along with me, long for the day when we don't have to hear about mass shootings on the news anymore, when parents don't have to buy bulletproof backpacks for their kids. And that day will come. And it will come when Christ returns and establishes kingdom in its entirety. But until that day, we as Christians have work to do. We can't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs. We should wait expectantly which means actively preparing for Jesus' return. What better way to wait expectantly than to see his kingdom purposes enacted here and now? And so we can see three, what I would say three of those kingdom purposes described in the Micah 4 passage that I'd like to highlight for us today. The first is that God's kingdom is a kingdom for all peoples. In the first two verses, this says, In the last day, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. See, God's kingdom is made up of of people from all nations, tribes, tongues, skin colors, generations, places of origin, political parties, uh, wealth. See where I'm going here with this? God's kingdom is not exclusive to a certain people group or a certain time or a certain place. It is for all people. It is made available to all people of all times. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. See, even from the Old Testament, the picture was not just about Israel and Israel exclusively. It was about Israel being the avenue through which God would reach the entire world with the gospel. Where people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues will come and be a part of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God will be, is and will be a multi-ethnic, diverse kingdom and it will be beautiful. Ephesians chapter 2 describes how, how through Christ, the two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, are made one in Christ. And Christ has destroyed the dividing wall that separates them. And that's true not just for Jews and Gentiles, but it's true for us today. Whatever dividing walls we, we, we set up between us, God wants to tear down. God wants us to be a people that are united in Christ, not divided by man-made divisions. In fact, if you think about it, we worship as our, as our Savior and Lord, a brown-skinned Jewish rabbi from the Middle East. It's interesting if you think about it that way. 
There will be people from all nations, all tribes, all ethnicities, all birthplaces represented in God's kingdom when he establishes it. And so we must live that way now. We must live as if that is true in our world today. So racism, bigotry, bigotry, white supremacy, or any ideology that elevates one people group at the expense of another is antithetical to the gospel. It's anti-Christian. See, the enemy loves to see us divided. He'd like nothing more than to drive a wedge and further separate people, to prevent the gospel from being shared, to prevent the gospel from being made real in people's lives. But in Christ, there are no dividing walls. They've all been torn down. Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. God desires for all people to be united in Him. And so we must live as if that is true today. Second thing we see here in Micah is that God's kingdom is grounded in His Word. So as, as the nations come to Jerusalem... It says that he will teach us his ways so that many walk in his paths. They will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and he will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. See, what, this, what these words are alluding to, what these verses are alluding to is transformation change that takes place not just on an individual but a societal level and that change that transformation will come only through the gospel and a movement of the holy spirit it's the gospel alone that transforms hearts it's god's word alone that saves lives and it's only the gospel that can bring about the changes that we desire to see in this world in jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 33 there's this beautiful description of of the new covenant when god says the word will now be written on their hearts. Imagine that. It's no longer about an exter- conforming to an external code of conduct or ethics, but, but truly living out God's law because it's a part of who we are. That's what it means to have God's law written on our hearts. It's, it's, it becomes a part of us. See, political movements, laws, or any other man-made institution won't ultimately save us. Now, Don't hear me wrong. Laws are good and we should support good, just laws that could prevent something like this from happening in the future. Anything we can do to protect innocent lives is a good thing. But laws only only treat the symptom, not the underlying issue. The underlying issue, I believe, is is a heart problem. People that desperately need to know and experience the love of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the true remedy. Now, other things that we can do to, to help protect and help ensure the safety of individuals is a good thing that we should pursue. But as Christians especially, we should also pursue and pursue with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength the, the, the sharing and the spread of the gospel and seeing change and transformation begin with us and spread outward. The Bible describes the church being a light in a dark world. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, talk about being the light of the world and the salt of the earth. The city on a hill that's meant to shine and be an outpost for God's righteousness and love and justice going forth. It says you can't put a, you don't put a lamp under a, a, a shade. You don't, you don't cover a city on a hill. It's meant to be a beacon of light. Like a lighthouse that helps guide and steer ships safely into harbor. We as Christians, as churches, should be that guidance, that beacon of hope and light in a dark world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, bringing about the message of reconciliation, encouraging people to repent and be reconciled to God, to proclaim the good news, to talk of a better way, even to speak out against violence and bigotry, bigotry where we see it, and actively pursue peace. Work, in other words, to see the kingdom of God becoming a reality in our world today. When Allie and I were in San Francisco, we, we tried to see as much of the city as we could. Um, and and, and one, uh, one particular day when we were just kind of wandering around, trying to, trying to make our way through different parts of San Francisco, we ended up almost by, pretty much by accident finding a, a park in the middle of a downtown area called uh, Yerba Buena Park. And in that park, there was a, a monument to uh, Martin Luther King Jr. 
And it was this beautiful like waterfall of a fountain that you could actually kind of walk behind. And there's uh, inscriptions of, of famous MLK Jr. quotes on the wall and in different languages. And the really impressive thing was not just the quotes, but as you walk behind this waterfall, the sound of the rushing water almost drowned out the rest of the noise. As you can imagine, being in a city like San Francisco, there was noise everywhere. <laughs> but being in there, it was almost this peaceful sense of, of calm as the waters rushed over the edge of this monument. And the reason it was designed in that way, one of the scripture passages that was central to Martin Luther King Jr.'s ministry and work towards seeing God's justice and God's kingdom being made real in this world was Amos 5.12, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I mean, think about that. As, as we were in the middle of this downtown park, this water rushing over, it drowned out and, and, and covered over all the other noise that we were experiencing, that we could have experienced in that world. See, God desires His justice, His righteousness to, to shield us in a similar way. What a, what a beautiful picture of a day when God's justice will be so real, when God's righteousness will be so real, not just for us, but for everyone, that it drowns out all of the injustice and all of the, the hate and the bigotry and the, the other things that we experience in this world that contradict the gospel. That's the kind of vision that Micah is talking about here. That's the kind of vision that we as Christians should have for the future, not just when Jesus returns, but working toward that in real and practical ways in this world. And finally, we need to be willing to be different. Micah 4 ends with, Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid, but the Lord, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. As Christians, we can't be defined by fear. Fear of what other people will think of us. Fear of, of being rejected. We can't be defined by fear. We need to live as if God's kingdom is real and can be experienced at least in part during this life. We need to remember that we are citizens of another kingdom. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to commit to living differently. The world may follow one pattern, one set of rules, but we need to commit ourselves to a countercultural view on humanity and violence, following God's desire for this world. Following Jesus means that sometimes we have to make the hard decision to swim against the current, to make the unpopular choice. But God calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. Decision to live in this way may mean a loss of political power. It may mean disagreeing with family and friends on certain issues. It may mean even disagreeing with each other at times on certain issues. But we, we need to make following Christ and following His Word to the best of our ability our number one priority. And in doing so, I believe we will see changes and we will see transformation, not just here in this place, but in our world. Because that's what we need. I want to close with the words of Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Jesus saying to His disciples, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Lord God, I ask that You would transform our hearts and minds. Lord, enable us, equip us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow You. Lord, let us not give in to the temptation of being silent, being no longer being shocked by sin and the, the violence we see in this world. Lord, help us to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in doing so, Lord, we, may you transform this world through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion. Let's stand and let's sing the first three verses of Have Thine Own Way, Lord. It's number 371 in your blue hymnals.
be seated. As we take communion today, remember what Jesus has done for us. His body broken, His blood shed, was not meant to reconcile us to God so that our sins could be forgiven, so we could once again be brought into God's family and know that we can have a relationship with Him now and forevermore. It was also meant to reconcile us to each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are made one in Him. So as we take communion, I, I encourage you to reflect on that truth, not reflect on our own need for the Lord, turning away from our sins and, and receiving God's grace and His mercy, but also how God's grace and mercy connect us to one another in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We, we take communion together for a reason, and it's because we have all been made one in Christ through His sacrifice. Father, I thank You that You have given us this reminder That, Jesus, you broke your body, your blood was shed so that we could be forgiven and that we could be made one in you. I pray as we take this bread and take this juice, you'd remind us and still in us a sense of, of all that you've done for us. And, Lord, help us to repent from all the ways we've fallen short of your glory and turn to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As Paul writes, he says, I've received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Messiah, I encourage you to take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for us. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is shed for you and for all. New covenant that was made in his blood that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray. First from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thank you, Lord, that through your grace, through your sacrifice on the cross, you have transformed us. You've made us new. This bread and this juice represent all that you've done for us so that, so that that could become a reality for us. And I ask now that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to live for you from this point forward. Lord, help us to experience grace and forgiveness where it's needed and help us to, Lord, change our hearts and our minds where that's needed as well, all according to your word and your will. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and let's sing the last verse of the the hymn we sang before communion, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.